to the Life and Science Podcast. I am your host, Stefan. Thank you so much for checking us out. I'm really excited today to interview one of my colleagues and friends, Duke, about his career in science so far and where he might be heading in the future. So let's get started. All right, Duke, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So hello, everyone. My name is Duke Fan, and I'm a fourth-year graduate student at UC Irvine. I'm in the lab of Dr. Christopher Hughes. Um, we're doing angiogenesis, vascular biology research. And then about five years ago, when I first started in the lab, we started to branch out into vascular bioengineering. So that's mainly what I'm working on right now. So why don't you tell us a little bit more of your backstory, sort of how you got interested in science, where you grew up, maybe uh, where you went to undergrad, things you majored in, things like that. Okay, cool. Um, so I grew up in Vietnam, okay. and the education system over there is very different from here. I I was not into science at all because back then it's it's basically you know you you memorize things and then you repeat back. So didn't give me like the joys of doing science and see things. So for me as a visual person, it's kind of like boring to kind of like repeat the same thing over and over again. I did pretty well in school for, you know, life science courses in general, but I really, really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I came here for college okay. and that was really like eye-opening, you know, like I, I get to see a lot of things. I, I really enjoy lab. So that's what get me into science and, you know, it just one step at a time, I start to change my mind and then get more excited about everything. And then about my um, second year, so I went to junior college here first. Okay. Uh, and then when, by the time that I, I have to decide, okay, where I'm going to transfer to, that's when I, I need to be more serious about my major. And I really enjoy engineering, but then a part of me also get excited about biology and how, you know, engineering can combine with biology for something at that time was kind of like the cutting edge thing. Yeah. It's called, one of the things is like, I, I went to a course and they were talking about tissue engineering. Okay, it's like creating artificial tissue or artificial patch so that you can you know, patch it up for organ, things like that. Okay. So that's really get me excited. And that's when I decide, okay, I'm going to transfer to university and I want to major in bioengineering. So I applied to several schools for transfer, got into almost all of them. Berkeley, UCI here, um, UC San Diego, which is like the top school for okay. bioengineering, and then also UCLA. But then here at UCI, I got a scholarship. So I was like, okay, why not? You yeah. know, I, I like to, to go to school that can offer free, free money, basically. So I spent uh, the extra two more years at UCI to finish up my uh, bachelor degrees in biomedical engineering. And then during that time, I also started doing research uh, undergraduate. And yeah, like a little bit with tissue engineering. And then after I graduate, that's when I, I was like, yeah, I want to go to grad school because that's probably the only way that I can advance in science. And I really enjoy working in the lab. So apply first time, didn't get in kind of like sad because I thought that, you know, I, I could, I could do well for, for grad school. Yeah. But that didn't really discourage me. Um, so I spent the next year and a half to almost two years working as a technician for a lab, which is the lab that I'm, I'm currently at. And, um, you know, I start to pick up 
projects from there. At that time, uh, the lab was still more molecular biology research, but then it's, things start to change and it starts to branch out. And I was the first one to kind of like start the vascular bioengineering part of okay. the lab. So it's like excited, but it's scary at the same time, you know, um, because I, I had no support whatsoever from the lab. You know, everyone else in the lab was doing something entirely different. So I have to pave my way uh, for myself. It's it's good because by the time that I reapply for grad school, I'm like, yeah, I'm ready because I already went through like the hard part uh, for that one and a half, almost two years. I'm interested um, if we could go back a little bit in your story too. when you came over from Vietnam to here for, for college. Mm -hmm. How was that adaptation to, you know, maybe a different sort of uh, learning style, different teaching? And what was it about science that sort of drew you in at the very beginning? So, I, like I uh, say earlier, it's really like the lab thing here in the U.S. and the open environment here. When you go to a class, and you know, when you when you don't know something, you just raise your hand and you ask like, "Why?" You know, and the goal of the professor, instructor here is to explain that why for you. It's very different back there. It's like, oh, they tell you A, and you're gonna have to memorize A, and then you're gonna repeat A. To me, that's kind of like weird for science because you know if I don't understand something about science I want to know why and that's really like the my personality I always want to know why and part of the reason why I keep going you know to grad school because in grad school we we learn how to to ask why and try to find way to answer that why questions so that's that's like really the, the difference that I see there um, I mean like the good thing about back there is they trained you so early on, you know, when you when you start high school, you already learn about calculus and differential equations and everything. So the first two, three years here for me, it's like, yeah, I'm just repeating what I learned before. Um, but at least I understand more now and I see why I need to, to learn these things and I can apply to certain classes, especially for engineering. Because back then when, when I was in high school, I don't know why I need to study calculus or differential equations. And then by the time that I was in my junior year, when I start to learn about, oh, biotransportations and how to adapt, um, you know, engineering uh, techniques or engineering calculation for modeling biological system and things like that. And you need differential equation, you need calculus, you need a lot of things to, to contribute into that kind of modeling uh, process. So now I get to see, okay, this is important. I, I really like enjoy doing everything. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. I feel like a lot of times, um, especially in sort of the education system these days, like people just learn stuff and they're like, okay, when am I going to ever use this? And yeah. so it's cool that you're able to, you know, be in an environment where things start to make sense of, okay, yeah. this is when I'm going to apply A, when I'm going to apply B, and I'm not just learning A to learn A, but yeah, it actually it's, it's makes definitely sense. A, a very different environment, and I, I do enjoy every moment. Uh, from college up until now. Yeah. I'm uh, interested in um, your research because I know just in the time that I've known you, you're definitely one of the most productive graduate students that I've met. You're always working uh, so hard, you know, going in seven days a week. Um, and I think what you're working on, you know, has the, the opportunity to really change a lot of things for people in science and outside of science. So maybe could you talk a little bit more about your research and uh, what you're working on? Okay, I, I think I should start by talking about why I do this kind of research. And, you know, really, 
it starts with the motivation, and that's dictate why I'm doing this kind of research, and I really enjoy it. So currently, we spend about $2.6 billion for drug development every year. It's a huge amount of money that the world is spending. But then, you know, 9 out of 10 drug candidates will fail clinical trial phase 2 or later. Even drugs that already got out to market eventually get recalled because of, you know, issue in safety and uh, efficacy. And the, the part of the reason is because the way that we're screening compound, the way that we discover drug, is, is not efficient. You know, um, typically you have a large amount of compound um, that you, you know in lab, and you start screening on um, cell in the lab. So, you know, one single cell type. You, people were able to isolate, you know, let's say cancer cell. Let's, let's say that we're screening for cancer compound. Yeah. They just isolate, um, you know, several cancer cell lines. Well, you know, in, 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 in body, when you have a tumor, it's very different. It's like a very complex environment. It's a tumor mass, and there's a lot more complexity in there. There are vasculature, there are other cell type, there there's the three-dimensional structure there. When, when you screen compound on like one cell type, you're not gonna understand, oh, how this gonna affect other cell type around their tumor microenvironment there. And then on the other hand, when you start screening on animal, well, animal is, it's better. There are more complexity in there. But the difference in, in anatomy and physiology between animal and humans and the way that animal metabolize drugs is very different from human too. And then there are certain disease, rare disease, that you can never replicate uh, using animal model, yeah. especially like central nervous system disease. Mm -hmm. It's very, very hard to model that kind of disease um, using animal. So you, you have a gap there where you, you, you try to screen in lab like a large amount of compound and you go to animal study, but then it's not going to give you enough information there. The cost is like tremendous. But then by the time that you put it into human, it's about like 76% of all the, the, the drugs that you screen will get some kind of uh, safety issue or toxicity issue or efficacy issue. So what we think is important is we can find like a niche there where we, we use human tissue so that we can get a better response for human uh, if we're going to test in human. But at the same time, it's simple enough. It's uh, cost efficient. And, you know, we can kind of do parallel study while we're doing animal study. And that's the kind of motivation that uh, our lab is trying to do. So our approach is basically trying to grow human tissue or organ. You know, like you, you can um, scale down human organ down to a functional unit. Let's say that, you know, a piece of tissue or something like that. We put it into the right environment. We introduce flow so that we can mimic blood circulations. And then from there, we can introduce drugs through that circulation system. And then we test the, the drug efficacies and safety uh, or like drug response in human tissue like that. So that's what we think is important because when we, we start testing on complex human tissue, we have better idea and then we can compare vice versa with animal study along the way. And it's give us a better predictions um, for human clinical trial later. That's really impressive. So something that I was talking to um, one of our friends, Amber, I interviewed mm -hmm. her, and we talked about how science is really trying to do a good job of replicating the human body, what's going on in the human body, in order to have better targeted therapies. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this is really 
what you guys are getting at. You're yeah. trying to replicate as close as you can actual human you know, tissue and actually an environment that happens in a human being that has, you know, different diseases so that drug development, drug treatment would be more efficient and also more targeted and would, you know, end up saving not only drug companies, but, you know, patients and and doctors, Mm -hmm. like, you know, lots of money. Yeah, I I definitely agree. And, you know, the past five years, it's been a a journey because I get to to go to a lot of meetings Mm -hmm. and even like with all the stakeholder, like big pharmaceutical company representatives and people from NIH, from the government. And yeah. they, this is the direction they want to shift toward. And they are willing to kind of sit down with everyone, you know, university research, NIH, regulatory people, big pharma company, and, you know, really hammer down how can we improve the way that we're screening compound right now so that we can save money, but also improve healthcare in general. Is there a um, certain population that your research affects? Do you guys study a certain type of cancer or central nervous system diseases, things like that? So I want to take a step back uh, to just go into details a little bit about our lab research. So Mm -hmm. we are a vascular biology lab. So we believe that the vasculature play a very important role. And, you know, in reality, in, in human body, human organs are connected through that circulation system. Mm-hmm. And then when drugs are introduced into our human body and go into target organ or target tissue, yeah. you have to go through that vasculature, you know, like you have to go through that blood circulation. Mm-hmm. So our research mainly focus on how we can combine the vasculature with, um, you know, the tissue that we're creating in there and trying to make organ-specific models. So okay. for example, let's say that I'm making a liver. I want to have the basic structure of the liver with all the relevant cell type, mm-hmm. but I also want to have the vasculature component in there. Okay. Because we think that the vasculature play a very important role in terms of filtering things. So it's not like when you when you put drugs in there, drug will go directly into the target. Yeah. It has to pass through the vasculature, and the ras- the vasculature play a, a, a regulation role there, mm-hmm. where it 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 allows certain compound to get out, or during that process, it metabolizes, it changes the way that the compound originally started. Okay. So that's our main focus, and you know, really, the way that we're doing right now, we're trying to to better mimic the real human. T- organ and f- expanding our our research is is beneficial for everybody yeah actually you know it's not just for drug screening we'll start working on creating rare disease model right okay. now so initially we start with cancer we start with colon cancer but something that i'm working on right now is creating a brain tumor model okay so you know brain tumor is one of the most devastating cancer type yeah uh, for a human and really there's no effective way to to use drug to target um, Mm -hmm. brain tumor because the the blood brain barrier where there's a a, an interface between the bloodstream and the 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 brain the central nervous system is tightly regulated so when when you trying to find a compound that can cross that barrier it's a very very hard uh, thing to do and a lot of compound a lot of chemotherapy uh, right now get into trouble because you cannot really deliver drug directly into that brain tumor yeah. uh, uh, region at all. So with the thing that we're doing right now, we can try to model brain tumor development. Mm-hmm. 
But going further on that, we are having model to study diabetes. We have model to study um, liver cancer. There's a lot of things that we're trying to do right now, and we're trying to work with a lot of collaborator around the yeah. U.S., even across um, the Atlantic Ocean wow. uh, in Europe, because we're, we're we think that we're having a good tool so that everyone can can use it. Yeah. So for um, maybe people who aren't necessarily so familiar with uh, biology terms could you maybe break down um into like a really simplistic idea um how when you ingest a drug what is the pathway that it takes and you use this word vasculature a lot which you know some of us scientists know but for those people who have never heard that what is that in maybe the simplest terms so the vasculature is basically your your blood vessel you know our body every single organ uh, even you, you know right now when you look at your skin you see um, your, your blood vessel just popping up uh, there. So typically when you see like the, the green um, vessel on your skin like that, that's the vein. So okay. the veins are bigger and easier to see. The artery is kind of like underneath. Um, so that's the, the vasculature. Um, you, you see that everyone have like a whole vascular system around um, the body. Um, when drugs are, 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 when people, you know, receive drugs or something like that, typically it comes in two form, more or less. One is you ingest through your, your mouth and you, you take a pill, basically. Um, it will go to your, your GI tract, you know, your colon or something like that. It will get absorbed. And so when it get absorbed, it actually go back to the bloodstream. Okay. Um, so, you know, it will circulate through the bloodstream and then go around and then go to the, the tissue. Yeah. Another way is you do a, a, an injection. So you can do an injection to your, to your skin or yeah. to your vein or something like that. Okay. Again, it will go back to the blood vessel system yeah. and it will circulate around. Mm -hmm. so, so really like the blood vessel is like the, the freeway or the highway in, in your body. Yeah. You know, if you need to travel somewhere, you're gonna have to go there. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's why we think it's very important. It's not because we're doing vascular research and then we think that you know, our research is the best thing. Yeah. But it's, it is a very important path for drug to to go to anywhere. Yeah. And you know, even even in cancer, um, when you hear a term about cancer metastasis, you know, cancer starts spreading out from one organ to another. Really, the only way that it, it can get from one tissue or one organ to another is through that bloodstream. Mm -hmm. So typically, what 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 cancer do do is like they will recruit the blood vessel toward the tumor mass, and then it will hijack it. And it will create its own path, yeah. so that it can start to invade into the the main bloodstream, the circulation system, yeah. and then it starts to spread out into nearby organ, and it starts to col colonize the next uh, target. Mm -hmm. I think that's the best um, description that I've heard of, of vascular biology mm -hmm. and the importance of it. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, I want to get more into your day to day life. What does a day in the life of Duke look like in your lab? Like, what do you do? What it maybe some scientific techniques that you use on a day-in and day-out basis? So things start to change a lot the past year or two. You know, grad school is a learning process. Mm -hmm. So when you first start grad school, it's very hard to know, you know, what exactly that you need to do and how exactly you need to organize your day. Yeah. And there's a lot of trial and error. But the past year or so, I found that if I kind of like prioritize my day and, you know, really hammer down how it looks like every day, yeah. have a good plan on how I manage my time. Mm -hmm. I become so much more efficient in terms of doing experiment, in yeah. terms of getting work done, and you know, even 
other extracurricular activities that I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the the best thing that I found from my lab, at least I enjoy the most, is we we don't have to show up early in the lab. Yeah. And you know, as long as we get the work done, we we can you know enjoy our time and do however we want or how however we want to organize our time. Yeah. So I would I would show up to lab around nine thirty to ten, mm-hmm. and the way that I do is I always make sure that the most important task of the day will be during that time between nine thirty ten to noon, because I know that that's my my peak energy level. Yeah. So I want to make sure that every day the first thing in the morning is going to be the most important task for that. So I usually do my own experiment or like things that I need. To make sure that I do it myself and mm-hmm. not anyone else, yeah. because I have undergraduate who are helping me. They're good, but they're obviously not graduate student, and yeah. they they cannot lead the projects. So that's that's when the, the first two or three hour in the morning I spend for my own experiment. Mm-hmm. I'll have quick lunch um, for like a half an hour. Sometimes it it might be shorter depending on the day that I do my experiment. Yeah, and then from afternoon. Uh, like say one to two, that's when I spend my time on email. You know, grad student, even when we do experiment, most of the time, there's a lot of email that we have to do you yeah. know, with um, with stakeholder, with research partner, collaborators, and things that we need to sort out. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's class. Um, so I, I spend like an hour or so for email and sorting out um, mm-hmm. any email detail. And that's when my energy level starts to kind of like dip down a little bit already. Yeah. So after that, it's usually for undergraduate mentoring. So my undergraduate tend to come in in the afternoon after they finish their class in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I use that time to kind of like train them for experiment or go through a plan with them for what they need to do that particular week. Yeah. Um, these days, I build a system um, that kind of help them track on their own progress. And I can track on their progress also. Mm-hmm. So between two to three to four is usually my time at my desk, analyzing data, but also keep an eye on them when yeah. they, they do experiment for me or they need me for their abstract or conference or anything. So that's undergraduate time. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, I'll, I'll use that time for um, undergraduate um, outreach activities okay. I've been doing on campus. Yeah. So that's typically my afternoon time. Mm-hmm. Um, I might do experiment between that to you know five or six something, um, but that's basically my lab time. So six p.m. I clock out. Yeah. I make sure that I have my my time to uh, to have that kind of work life balance. So then 6 p.m. I usually go to train uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. So I train grappling um, four, three, four days a week, mm-hmm. every night for an hour and a half. Wow. That's basically my time to kind of like check myself, um, you know, kind of like re-energize myself. Yeah. De-stress. Um, I have a lot of good people train with me, and I enjoy a lot. There's a lot of people from UCI. They're like grad student. They're mm-hmm. staff. They're postdoc, and they all come there and train with me at the gym. And it's basically the time that we can network, basically, and get together and kind of free our mind and yeah. really enjoy um, uh, sport activity. And then after that, it's just dinner time. Um, I make sure that I finish anything that I have to do at home, uh, 
cooking cleanup. I really like cooking, so I cook myself every yeah. day, uh, two, three times a day for every meal. And then I would go to bed around 11. Um, but yeah, that's it. And I, that's my typical day. So by prioritizing my day like that, I I don't get burnout that very often anymore. Yeah, that's really awesome. Uh, one of the things that um, that I've talked to some people about is is definitely that work life balance of making sure that you know you are being productive because you can't stay in graduate school forever. <laughs> you know, and we all are coming to graduate school sort of with a career or you know job in mind that we want to migrate to afterwards. But also making sure that you know you are having time to, to rest and relax and, and be energized so that you can go and that you want to go into work the next day and continue to work. Um, I know that you mentioned about some uh, outreach opportunities that you've done and, you know, you talked about, you know, making sure that you have time to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. What are some of those other networking or um, volunteer outreach opportunities that you take part in? So I've been involved uh, with a lot of professional development activities for graduate students on campus the past year. Um, there's a program that I'm mainly involved right now. Um, it's called GPS Biomed, and it's um, it's it's NIH fund, um, basically helping biomedical science postdoc and graduate student to develop their professional skill outside of their hardcore science. So focusing on communication, presentations, and other soft skill, basically to to prepare you for any kind of career that you want, and and I learned a lot from from working with the program coordinators and then all other people that I I know along the way. Um, I've been helping to create uh, a peer series seminar, basically trying to recruit senior postdoc or graduate student to go back and share their experience on how they they identify their potential career after finishing um, their postdoc appointment or, or grad school. And um, other thing that you, you, you would not learn uh, when you first start grad school. And, you know, that's, I think it's very important because a lot of time you need someone who already went through the process and then they, they go back and they tell, okay, there's a lot of failure. Yeah. There's a lot of pitfalls here. And, you know, if you, if you recognize that early, then perhaps you don't have to waste your time uh, a lot on that. So I, I really uh, think that's the most important thing. And that's kind of like my baby for, um, for that professional development uh, activities right now is to really drive forward and make that peer series something stable and everyone can benefit from that. Um, and then we're trying to expand the network out so that people who already uh, finished their postdoc, their grad school here at UCI, they become alumni. And now we want to invite them back to really share what real world looks like, yeah. how they transition from being a researcher here on campus and to whatever they want right now. Some of them are like patterns lawyers. Some of them are doing with regulatory affair. Some of them are still hardcore scientists, but there's a variety of career that people are pursuing right now after they finish their um, postdoc and, and grad school here at UCI. So it's very exciting uh, to talk to different people and, and hear their story and 
mainly I really I really enjoy hearing their failure because oftentimes they don't people will give a presentation will give a talk about oh how successful they are yeah. but they don't talk about the failure <laughs> and you know that's very true like scientists we know that 90% of what we do just gonna fail and we're gonna have to learn how to adapt to that and learn from failure all the time yeah Absolutely. Um, I want to go back real quick to, to something that I think is really interesting. So can you talk about sort of the difference between engineering and biology and how you and your project exist in the middle, that it's not just learning more about the body and it's not just how can we design something better, but it's really how can we find the perfect marriage of those two to create sort of a better life for, for people? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a very good uh, question, and I think for a long time people argue, okay, if I'm a hardcore biologist, I only learn about you know basic biology mechanism structure things like that, and I want my own territory. Whereas engineering people, they come in, and you know the typical hardcore engineering people, they will say, what's the problem? Yeah. And they will ask that kind of cash questions, and then they will try to say, okay, here are my solutions. And I'll try to patch that um, that problem. Well, it's good, you know. They have so many ideas to patch the problem, but when you deal with something logical relevant, it's very hard that you can, you know, try to patch it with with solution that come up from, you know, just basic engineering approach. So let's let's make an example. You know, if you say that, let's say that we are trying to make like a heart valve. You know, if you if you talk about that to um, to an engineer, they will say, okay, let's just make like a make um, like a metal valve or something like that, put in human body, and then we'll just work. And then when when you talk to cardiovascular biology people, they say, no, 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 this is gonna cause a lot of problem because the body doesn't like you know metal having some kind of metal piece in there in there like that. So really, what? What I think is important now, and, and I'm fortunate to be at the, the center of that, is I get to see um, all the engineering approach. Yeah. I get to work with all engineers on campus to, to really understand all engineering approach, what kind of thing that's available to, to solve problem. And then on the other hand, I work with biologists and people in my lab to kind of like understand the, the biology part of it. And then see where's the the compromise, you know, where's the middle ground that we can work together and figure out and how to solve the problem, have a best solution that will will make everyone happy, but more importantly, fix you know the actual problem that that we need to fix for for healthcare for human um, treatment in general. I think so. That's like the best part for 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 my projects is to be at the center. Sometimes it's hard though because you know you you have to deal with so many people, so many different uh, viewpoint, and you know if you talk to a hardcore biologists, they will say like this is my way or nothing. Yeah. You talk to engineers, they say oh let's just do A, B, and C and D, but then none of that will work if you if you bring that to to talk to the biologists. So you're gonna have to negotiate, you know, and find way that you can bring everyone together yeah. and, and say that okay. Let's work on that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like drive me toward, um, you know, something that I've been really enjoying trying to explore as a career is um, project management or program management, because essentially that's your role. You know, you're you're the middleman and you're trying to figure out how to solve the problem by bringing all the expert and then try to tackle the problem. What is your in like a perfect world where everything goes according to plan? What is your dream job? 
I I think for me, I I really like. It's funny because um, I don't see myself doing things you know over and over again. I really don't like repeating things all over again. I really enjoy the the initial phase of everything. So for example, let let's say that a project start. I really enjoy that that hard time where things are not working. You're trying to patch thing here and there. So to me, that's like the the best part of uh, uh, the best kind of job. So what I envision for myself is I want to be in that kind of position. Okay. Where if you have a problem and it's a challenging problem, I'll step in. I'll figure out you know what's the best solutions there. Who are the expert that I can bring in? We'll work out a plan to get it up and running. Once it's up and running, I'll pass over to someone else so that they can start to to make it like become a, an operation. So it's a routine thing, and that's kind of what I think and envision. And it's similar to when you have a startup, you know, that startup environment where initially things are very chaotic, and you have to wear so many hats at the same time. But once you know you get the first round of funding, things start to go smooth. Then you gotta have to take a step back because you know it starts to get bored. Yeah, you know, yeah. absolutely. Um, I saw recently that you had the opportunity to give the keynote speech at, at a conference, and for those people who maybe don't understand, like that is a really huge honor to do that at any time in your career, let alone as a graduate student. Um, so tell us more about that and what that was like, and how you prepared for it, and maybe some feedback that you got. Oh yeah, that's like I like you say, like having a keynote speak, uh, a keynote talk like that. It's amazing. So um, every year we have a vascular biology conference uh, for North America. So basically, everyone who's studying vascular biology or anything related to vascular biology um, will gather up for a week. Uh, this year we did a, we had a conference in Monterey. Okay. Um, so originally, it was supposed to be my boss, uh, my advisor, giving a keynote talk, and um, he was he has some um, Im- like uh, emergency travel last minute, so he couldn't make it. And he said, "Yeah, why don't you go and, and give a talk? Because it's uh, I was gonna talk about your projects." And to me, I was like, "Yike! Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's gonna be challenging because you know keynote talk is it's important. You don't wanna like." make fun of your, your lab, you know, yeah. and you need to represent your lab. But I say, okay, I'll do it. Um, I'll try my best. And I didn't realize until last minute that it's supposed to be a joint session. So the whole conference will be there to listen to my talk. Oh, so wow. that's like over 200 people. Yeah. Like, just stop everything and yeah. go to my talk for half an hour. Wow. So it was it was pretty scary. And, you know, when I was there, luckily enough, I have... Um, two of my colleagues who are also going to conference with me. So we're really prepped for that. Um, you know, I already have a game plan. I I already prepared all the presentation and got approval from my boss. But yeah, like the day before that, you know, you, you start to get nervous. Mm-hmm. And like no matter how hard you, you prepare, yeah. you always get that nerves kicking in and you know that, okay, I don't want to make fun of me myself. Even though I have great research but if i screw up you know people is going to look down on my projects and let alone my boss also but um it it was great you know it it turns out that i i just really enjoy it the first 30 seconds i i start to make a joke you know because my my boss he's a british guy so i say the first thing i say well you know since 
I'm here, but I cannot really give this talk in a British accent. I still <laughs> hope that everyone enjoy my my own research, my what I actually bring here, and yeah. not just because I cannot speak in in a British accent. And people start to laugh, and I think it's it's kind of like calm calm my nerves down a little bit, and everyone starts to relax also. And it's 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 like a half an hour talk, uh, which is like pretty serious because typically for grad student, when you get invited for for a talk. You only have like a 10 minute talk, so in that particular sessions, I had like the the session broke down to uh, five talks. So the first two talks are very well known uh, professor. They give serious talk, and so me is the third one, and I I got like 30 minutes uh, slot, just like professor. And then the last two talks are like 10 minute talks. Um, yeah, like so, it's it's amazing that I got the same opportunity to give a talk like a like a professor, and I really uh, I I think that I, I did a pretty good jobs. And um, the morning after, my boss uh, came and he said, "Yeah, like everyone say that it's great. You know, it's um, you probably shouldn't come anymore. You just send your student there." And <laughs> I was like, funny. "Okay, that's that's very good to hear." But yeah, it's it's really a teamwork thing. You know, um, I think that. Um, you know, research, me, myself, doing my projects, but there are also other people in my lab and my boss who always give me advice on how I should do things. And then even for the presentation, there's our, there are my, they have my, my, I have my colleagues over there who can actually help me with like the preparation for that talk. So it, it really went well. And I got a lot more emails after saying, oh, we need to collaborate. There's a lot more that I want to do now with, yeah. with you, with your lab. And yeah, it's, it's good. That's awesome. Would you say that that has been sort of your proudest scientific moment so far in your career? Or are there other ones that, you know, are right up there with, with giving that keynote speech? To be honest, I think my proudest moment is it was like the first time that I, I got my projects to work. So I still remember that was like my the end of my first year. Um, I, I mean, I start my projects um, a year or two before I actually start grad school. Yeah. So nothing works. You know, you spend <laughs> hours and hours, days and days to try to figure out, okay, what's what's going on? What's going on? How can I fix it? And you're like, I, I went through like 90% of failure cycle to that, to the past two years for that. And then there was one day that, okay, I was in the lab for almost like nine or 10 hours working already. I, and then finally, I just I just made it. And uh, I was like, wow, this is like so amazing. This yeah. is the first time in two years that things start to work. Uh-huh. And I was just like in lab, still wearing my lab coat. I was just like pull my phone out and then send an email to my boss right away. I say, I got it. Yeah. I, I made it to work. And then he he got back to me right away within five minutes, and it's like, yeah, let's 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 see it tomorrow. So yeah, like I mean, it 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 was horrible for the first two years of that project, but from that moment on, every single day is a new thing. Every single day we start to figure out better way to improve um, the the projects and. That's part of the reason why I, I feel like, you, like earlier you, said, you mentioned, you know, you, me, myself, are very productive. Well, I spent like two years, got nothing done. Yeah. And then, you know, it just, it started to ramp up since then. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say that that's probably the most um, proudest moment for me. Yeah. 
and just to sort of put things in perspective for people that are listening, I don't know if you caught this earlier, but um, Duke mentioned that no one in his lab really was working on this. And so he had to really sort of pioneer this research, you know, sort of be the lab expert from the start. So the fact that, you know, it was two years of consistent failure, and then finally one day he got it, you know, is, is no small feat to you know, be the one that your boss is like, all right, go figure it out. And you just have to, you have to figure it yeah. out. And you did. Basically, that's, that's what um, my boss say all, to every one of us uh, all the time. You know, research and working in a research lab, 90% of the time, it's just persistent. You know, you have to be persistent. And then he would say that the, the other 10% is like inspiration. But I would, I would argue it's, it's probably 5% inspiration and the other 5% is luck. Because, you know, if you work hard enough, eventually luck's on your side. And I, I really believe that. You know, you, you spend hours after hour after hour trying new things all the time. And then eventually you're going to get that one moment where you, you find that right thing at the right time. Yeah. And then thing will just kind of like ramp up from there. Yeah. When things click, there's very few feelings in the world that are better than that. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about um, maybe some people that... Um, have helped you get to where you're at at this moment in science? Maybe some, some mentors, some colleagues, some you know, people that believed in you? I definitely give the most credit to, to my boss right now um, because he really drives me and the way that I think about science. And he gave me a very good opportunity. You know, being the first guy to do this kind of thing, yeah. you get thrown into the dark. But then at the same time, you, you get support from, from him. Mm-hmm. Say that he understands that, oh, you know, you're, you're pioneers, something new, totally, entirely different from the rest of the lab back then. Yeah. So he tried to, to bring all experts and people that he knows um, on campus mm-hmm. to really help me with um, the way that I, I need to do with my projects. So really, it's, it's, it's him to kind of like, Put me into challenge, but at the same time, give me enough tool yeah. that I can figure out things on my own. And every single step that I, I've been going through with my projects, with um, the way that I'm doing mm-hmm. uh, science in general, there's always his role there, his advice there uh, in terms of science. Yeah. But there, along the way, there's also a lot of other mentor that I know um, for professional development, you know how to prepare for a presentation, how not to speak like a typical scientist and really excite people yeah. about your, what you do and really get people into perspective why you're doing things and why your, imp- your project is important mm-hmm. and what kind of impact that you can make for society yeah. with your research. And there's a lot of people that I know um, who helped me along the way with that kind of like soft skill. Yeah. Um, so I do appreciate all of them. Um, but if, if I have to pinpoint for science, it has to be my boss because, you know, I would not get to this point right now without him and his support. Mm-hmm. That's so true. So you're in your fourth year right now. What is sort of your timeline for graduation and maybe what are your plans after graduation? So for um, for audience who don't really um, understand the way that we're, we're going through grad school here at UCI, um, so typically, like uh, a typical PhD student entering uh, first year, they will have to um, go through rotation. So basically, trying to find the right lab and the right research to do thing. 
it's different for me a little bit because I was already start my I already start my projects and I was working on my projects, so I I didn't have to do that kind of rotation. So I have like a a year in advance um, with that. So even though I'm a fourth year right now, I'm kind of like wrapping up my my projects and you know start working on my thesis. So hopefully that I I can I can wrap up the the story by. You know, early next year. Yeah. So I'm aiming for summer, uh, 2018, to finish my PhD. Um. So like in nine months. Yeah. That's so exciting. Very we'll exciting. see. Um, I just had our committee meeting. So basically, talking to everyone on my committee, and they're they're very happy with my progress. Uh, with all the projects that I'm doing and all the publication that I've already uh, finished. Yeah. So now it's a matter of like, oh, you know, wrap up the story yeah. and then really pave the road for the next person. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of work that I've been doing right now um, for the lab, yeah. for not only for my projects, but other branch uh, that we're, we're developing in the lab right now. So it's exciting because now I get to go back to the, the starting point, I guess, um, for other projects. And, you know, like I say, I mentioned earlier, um, the best part for me is that ramping up phase where you get to see new things. It's hard. It's challenging. But that's the most exciting moment. And then once things start to kind of like mellow down, then it's kind of like boring to me. Yeah. You pass it off to somebody yeah, else. So that's that's my goal. Um, career wise, like, like I also mentioned, you know, I like to be the middleman guy, you know, project management um, and I think that being in like a, a startup environment will be uh, exciting for me. Yeah. So that's something that uh, I'm thinking um, mm-hmm. for for future career is to be in that kind of like startup environment. And then maybe five years from now, who knows? Or ten years from now, um, I, I look forward to to be um, chief scientific officer or chief technology officer for a biotech company because. That's the kind of person who who supervise and you know kind of like manage portfolio for biotech company and you, you still do that kind of like uh, initial phase where you have to start projects and, and manage people who who started projects but you're at a high level uh, so you get to see science but you don't actually need to do science and you get to mentor people or actually put together a team to get the projects up and running yeah. That's awesome. Um, so is what you're working on, the project you're working on, this organ on a chip, is that patentable technology? Is that um, Yeah, so we were in a process of um, getting the patent for that. Um, with patent, it takes forever. You know, we, you, you try your best to do it, but it's basically you just wait. You know, once you submit your application and you just wait there. Um, that's certainly something that we we hope to to see. You know, it it get patterned, it gets spin out. But right now, we don't know. It's yeah. up in the air. Waiting um, pattern. We'll we'll see. Uh, but we got a lot of help from you know people at UC Irvine, uh, the administration uh, on campus. They're very helpful in terms of like helping us to to make sure that the technology and intellectual property is protected because. Part of you know our research is beneficial for UC campus uh, in general. So we're working with um, a lot of people to get it um, done, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting. Um, 
So only a couple more questions, but sort of using the results uh, of your research, uh, what is maybe one thing that listeners can do differently in their lives? Day I think that, you know, you, you should, one of the things in general, I think for people is to, to live a healthier life. I think that's in general for me, um, you know, seeing things that we're doing to trying to help uh, create like a disease model or trying to find way that we can screen drugs to target that particular disease. To me, it's it's exciting, but at the same time, you, you have to think back, you know, you, you want to prevent disease instead of curing disease. You know, yeah. you don't want to spend money just to cure disease where if you can live a healthier, better life to begin with and do all the preventing step ahead of time rather than, you know, wasting your money and struggle to, to fix um, problem when it's already happened. Yeah. So I think that's in general, it's one of the advice that I want to give. For science people, um, keep an open mind. I think, you know, um, I would not get to, the, to this point right now if I'm more narrow mind about, um, you know, I'm just a biologist, I'm just an engineer or something like that. And for people who are working on cancer, you know, try to adapt 3D, three-dimensional model and trying to expand your horizon instead of just look, narrow down to one type of um, cancer or one particular um, model that you're trying to do right now because maybe someone else is having a better way to, to help your projects. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of things that we're doing right now that potentially can be useful for everyone to use for their research. So I, I really encourage people to to keep an open mind for their projects and really reach out to um, find collaborators. Yeah. Um, so just in closing, if people want to connect with you to talk maybe more about your research or possibly collaborate or even, you know, talk more about this organ on a chip technology, how can they get in contact with you? So I have LinkedIn. Okay. Um, people can search me on LinkedIn. Uh, search for my name. should pop out pretty easy. I'm on Twitter also. So I'm kind of like trying to to have Twitter and LinkedIn as my professional uh, contact use that to promote my research, what I, I do outside research, or the extracurricular, uh, extracurricular activities that I've been doing. So yeah, like if you, if you look up on LinkedIn, you can find me over there and uh, reach me through LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter also, uh, search for me and it will pop out and then you can, you can always send me a message on there. But yeah, like those two are really the channel that I, I can, uh, connect to people right now mm -hmm. awesome well thank you so much duke for your time thanks so much for coming on the podcast and uh, we'll talk to you soon all right thank you